If there's one thing we know to be true, it's that traditional financial markets don't care about you. Whether we're talking about banks or brokers, the system is rigged to favor the super wealthy at the cost of everyone else. You know it's true. They know it's true. With blockchain and crypto offering the opportunity to become your own bank, the people now have the chance to secure their own financial future. Today, we welcome Patrick McConlog from Overline Network to discuss how DeFi fixes some of the biggest problems ordinary investors face. You might hear a bit of an Irish or Scottish brogue today, laddies. So pour yourself a pint and belly up to the bar for episode number 556 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four... Three, two, one, two, it's episode 556, man. Welcome to the show. Oh, don't be bragging about your brogue there, mate. I don't know. It's episode number 556. I'm not bragging about it. I'm just it's a fact. How can you just brag about facts? facts? Facts don't have feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. Numbers don't care about math does not care about your feelings. Uh, in other news, two plus two still does equal four. Always will, no matter. That is true. You yeah. know what also equals four? What's that? Two plus two plus two, and also one plus three. Four plus, plus zero plus also one plus is four. one. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's the uh, Bad Math know. Podcast. Joel Com, <laughs> Travis Wright here. We're the blockchain blockheads, the crypto clowns. This is the show for the crypto curious and the crypto. We're very serious here. We're very, we're very serious at this podcast. We take our fills very seriously. We take blockchain very seriously. Uh, we don't joke ever because we're very serious. I am the most serious, and I'm serious about being serious. So I always out serious Joel with my serious seriousness. Seriously. You know- Siri, are you serious? serious? Matrixport, our sponsor. They're very Hmm. serious about helping you investing your crypto and getting yields beyond reason. 30% annualized yields, very good. Have you lost your way in this low yield environment while searching for a better store of value to beat that inflation? Well, look no further. Invest in Matrixport to get your get more out of your crypto. I tell you what, if you don't understand DeFi right now and the fact that you're able to, you know, get returns like this, just having your money working for you, it's really nice. You got to learn more at badco.in forward slash matrix port. And whoa, we're going to have Jihan Wu on episode number 557 coming up. Tell your friends, hide your wife, hide your daughters. It's going to be crazy. From Jihan Wu? You need to hide your wife from Jihan Wu's coming for your women? It's serious. It's serious. I don't know about that, but uh, the reason uh, we're excited about that is because, um, you know, Jihan Wu was an, an OG in the uh, the Bitcoin world, the founder of Bitmain, which is now a multi-billion dollar company. And now he has founded Matrixport and they are the sponsor of the show. And he will be here on the uh, next episode to talk about a lot of history in this uh, interview with him, right? It's Momentous. it's definitely not a commercial for Matrix Port. It's just Surely. it's more informative. That's more of an oh by the way, Matrix Port is the next thing that I'm doing. Here's all the things that I've done. We we have a great conversation with Jihan, which has been on the list for a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, we we were really trying to get him in the first 500 episodes, but apparently we got to get him in on the second 500. That's okay, as long as he got here. And, you know, today's interview very much tied to DeFi as well. Patrick McConlow's got a lot of thoughts 
about uh, the whole Wall Street bets, GameStop, Stonks, and uh, Robin Hood debacle. Many words, lots of thoughts coming at you right now. Just do the damn interview, Joel. Is the market rigged and are one of you responsible? We're going to talk about that and a lot more today with our friend Patrick McConlog. He is with Overline.network, and we've discovered that this is his first podcast interview ever. So we're going to be super gentle with him, maybe. Oh, I, hope, I hope super, super hard. It's t- Push the limits. That's what she said. Um, no. <laughs> welcome gonna, to the show. So it's going to be so. that kind of show. Yeah. <laughs> Always that kind of show. I told you that's how things roll here. Uh, so why are you here? Like uh, somebody said, hey, this dude knows a lot about DeFi, but I got to be candid. I haven't had a chance to do a lot of, um, uh, you know, background on you. Our producer says, yeah, let's bring this guy on. He's got some interesting opinions. So it's so very welcoming. You? Very welcoming, Joel. I want to know who the hell you are. Yeah, why who are, you, are you, man? What are you doing? here? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think we're all still we're, always on the road to discover that right like who who am i uh so yeah we'll see but what i what i have found in the DeFi space is my lifelong career for sure the question is you know will i get to my end goal of transparent trade who knows but in terms of my background i came from a hedge fund data science a quantitative role at a hedge fund called Citadel and spent a lot of time there looking at computer screens <laughs> and using keyboards. And from there, I spent some time with Vitalik in San Francisco and arguably made the worst career decision of my life, which was to not work on, at the time we were going to work on Ethereum Africa, which was a purpose-driven school to teach people how to use smart contracts. And I, I then opted for the full-time role at Citadel where they required you to not work in anything else other than their stuff. It's like, sorry, I got to go because, you know, these this is the big leagues. And meanwhile, you know, I've watched the space not only bloom, but return to something that we could use to solve some stuff that I saw in the Wall Street space, which is like, I don't own a single stock. And there's a reason for that. Like, I don't own a single share of any publicly traded company because I know what I'm up against. And if I make a call as a little guy without the stuff that I had back at Citadel, it just doesn't even, it's not, even, it's not fair. So I don't. Yeah, Does that explain you know, who I am? It, it, it does a bit. And Citadel, for those of you who, who are going, Citadel, Citadel, Citadel. Where have mm. I heard that Where before? have that heard that Citadel? Now, Citadel is a hedge fund. Uh, Citadel also, I believe, is a big investor in Robinhood, if I'm not mistaken. And they were also at the front lines of the debacle with the GameStop, AMC, uh, stonk wars with the Wall Street bets thing going on, right? That was that was quite a duel. Now, had you already left at that time, Patrick? I had already left. What I was able to see during that was okay. I don't know everything that was going on, but I do know what really happened. Where you okay, give us the dirt. People, Here we go. Bring it on. Tell the story. Well, I know, but the dirt is like 
you know, just like everything, whenever there's a lot of money being made, there's a lot of shadows and, and it gets darker and lighter, but it's, it's always gray as to like, where exactly is it? So the first thing you can know is, did someone make a lot of money? Yes. Why do you know that? Because it's really unclear what happened. So that's, that's a telltale sign of something's up. Where did it happen? And what people don't realize is that Robin Hood itself went full commando and decided to start their own clearinghouse. And this was not something that hit the news because no one really knows how clearinghouses work. They're called dark forests in the like nomenclature term. But these clearinghouses are, in my opinion, the the pinpoint, the beginning of if we wanted to, like, and that's the other problem with this. If we wanted a transparent market, right, which goes back to my original premise, when things are shadowy, someone's making money and they're not interested in turning on the lights. So right now, why do we not have transparent markets? Like we're trying to go to Mars. We're trying to re-bring back, you know, woolly mammoths. And yet we can't figure out how to make a trade transparent. Like, really? That's right. so we have a bunch of open source kids out there making more volume with transparent you know, markets than actual, you know, billionaire hedge fund traders. Like it, this is a problem of incentives, but let's go back to what happened. Robinhood's clearinghouse, it, they have no idea how to run it. So they have no idea how to run an actual clearinghouse really well. Couple that with people who do know how to run a clearinghouse, which is Citadel Markets, and people who do know how to open shorts and a short interest squeeze, which is what happened at kind of, quote, quote, the peak of GameStop. And now you have the elements of like the perfect storm. So there's some finger pointing going on between Robinhood and the markets. Like we were told that, you know, we had to stack our books uh, with more collateral. But in reality, it's a, it's a question of where, where did the retail traders buy button stop being a buy button. And that's why I'm so you know, passionate about a DeFi solution to this whole thing is that buy button's fake. The buck needs to stop somewhere. And in any company, it stops with the CEO, right? It goes to the top. And so the question is, is should the CEO of Robinhood be doing time for this? Was it indeed a crime? It was not, to the best of my knowledge, a crime of any kind. It was a situation where they did not know enough and regulation failed us to bring the structure necessary for basically Robinhood wasn't ready. And so they were authorized to run a clearinghouse. They should not have been authorized to run one. They were authorized to allow for retail trader margins that they are not capable of providing. But that's not the drama here. The drama is we, we being the people, the regular folks, learned they could mess with the system. And this system is a system where you're supposed to take your money, you're supposed to give it to a mutual fund, you're supposed to give it to your retirement fund, and shut up. Like that's what you're supposed to do. Oh. And let the, you know, the big guys play with it. And I'm telling you this because like, what was my job at Citadel? I took billions of points of data and made hundreds of millions of small decisions using my computer versus the one retail trader who's deciding whether or not to hit a buy now button. 
Like it just doesn't, it doesn't compute in terms of what's fair. But in those millions of decisions and billions of positions, a retail investor might make a great decision on a company. But because he's up against the portfolio, it's like, well, I'm just trying to allocate, you know, $25 million into a number of different stocks. I'm not looking at the fundamentals. I'm doing something called rebalancing. And so you as a little investor might see $25 million disappear from a certain stock, irregardless of its value, simply because I was rebalancing out of automotives. So there's this, you're swimming as a little retail investor with these monolithic whales. Like we say whale in crypto space, like, wow, look at that, you know, $100 million move. That's nothing compared to what's swimming in the open markets. And then naively, we wander into this retail trader space, but in reality, with GameStop, there's a brief blip of I think what people think is is hope. Even though people are like oh, I'm burned and and you know the barstool sports guy is like I lost everything. Uh, that's not what happened. What happened was people realized that if you really came together and made a pricing decision, you could swim as a much bigger fish. Mm. But th- well, let me ask a question around that though, because there's this there, there are these whole rules for the retail investors around pumping and dumping. Right. And if you get a whole bunch of people together and we say, oh, we're all going to go put our money into GameStop and we're all going to go like, it, you know, the, the big whales in the system has ways to sort of smash down the resistance in a way. Right. And, and, and especially whenever, you know, Melvin and Citadel or whatever can just say, hey, stop allowing people to trade GME. Like it was such a it was such a cluster. But I think that it, it was a red pill for many, too. From make people really go, wow, okay, look at how screwed up this is. Maybe crypto is where I should put my money, right? So it's kind of a, it's 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 maybe double double edged sword, kind of. It's absolutely a double edged sword. It's absolutely a situation where we're giving someone a gun and they don't know how to use it, nor are they authorized to. Mm. So in a sense, if you have a Reddit following and you've got fifty thousand people, and you are using market forces, which is a gun, you know, it's a, it's a tool. And now you're driving these 50,000 people to make decisions. You have no idea what you're doing. Like you are, you're violating things and you're not violating things. You're fighting for the little guy, but even then you might think you're big and GME is the size, but like if, if Citadel wants to short, to short something to death, you can, you can't, you don't have the depth of firepower mm. that these guys do. So In fact, that's one reason why Joel and I, we really never recommend any coin. We never promote or pump or tell anybody like we, we do your own due diligence. You know what I mean? That's what we're all about. Don't we're not going to say, oh, my buy God, this Bitcoin. coin right here. Go out and buy it right now. Buy it's going to be amazing. Bye, 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 bye. You know, like Jim Cramer's. We don't do that. Buy Bitcoin. Buy, buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin. <laughs> no, we, we, he's right. We don't. Um, because in these guys all over YouTube doing that. This one's going to moon. Go get that. Like the hell's wrong with you. You're messing with people's livelihoods. What you should be doing is providing information to them and saying, go engage your brain. Think for yourself, do your own research and take responsibility for your money. So hundred thousand percent. hundred thousand. Damn. Yeah, hundred thousand percent. That's true. That's, that's, that's like right there. more than a hundred. That's more than a thousand. That's more than 10,000. That's a hundred thousand percent. You may as well say. 
infinity. You just hundred X your ten X. Isn't isn't that my rating for this podcast too? Like, oh, it's this is a what star here? It's oh my god, stars. A plus status so oh, far right here oh, on your very first wonderful. podcast ever. <laughs> yeah. Please, oh, please. I, he's being nice. I can see him on the video. He's shaking his head. Patrick, Listeners. what I really want you to do is go. Please elaborate on how smart I am. Go ahead. Hey, 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 just so the fans know, this guy's got some salt and pepper hair going on. You know, he's got glasses. I trust him. He's got the look. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Look. What are the requirements for trust? Salt and pepper hair and glasses? Oh, wait, That's wait, it? Well, no, all these fucking wait, politicians wait. are getting ones over on us, man. But let's, yeah. make it, let's make it deep for a second, though. What are the requirements of trust? You just nailed it. What did those, one, salt and pepper hair means experience. Two, glasses generally means you overread or overstudied, you know, you stared at paper for too long. So right up, even just visually, there's a little bit of weight to trust with experience. Which is, which is a little, a kind of BS, right? Because I got genetically fortunate. My brother, who's two years older than me, started losing, you know, receding, losing his hair when he was in his 20s. And I got the yeah. luck of the draw. Um, full name. And, and, and then, you know, as far as glasses, uh, thanks, mom. Uh, you know, I've been legally blind since I was, you know, like five years old and been wearing glasses my whole life. So and Travis used so to wear glasses, it. but he had Lasix. You can't tell how smart he is. Mm-hmm. I just well, read I, all I, the I'm books not... and then burned my eyes out and then got them fixed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nobody I'm knows not that trying to I say that anybody's smart or not. I guess what I'm trying to say is. <laughs> Robin Hood spent six months with their clearinghouse before trying to take on the largest retail investment preference change ever. Six months. Like right. the clearinghouse industry. So then I guess it's like, so factor of trust should be experienced. It, it isn't a carte blanche check. You know, they might have had LASIK. There's some trust hidden there. But the point is the, the drama that happened is that enough public players were able to make a move. However, in the world that they were making that move, it wasn't ready for them. And Robinhood still arguably isn't cooked for high volume trading. There's all sorts of weird clearing issues with Robinhood. I have to show you something. The world is bright. I have to show you something. Our our fans, uh, you know, this is an audio variation. So if you guys follow our blockchain heroes, NFTs, we released a set um, in February called Stonk Wars. That was uh, heroes and villains based on the whole GameStop um, and Robin Hood debacle. And this uh, this character right here, Patrick, that you can see is called Short Adele. Short Adele was was one of them. And we also did um, one called based on Melvin. Uh, it was Nev Nevlin. Nevlin, but we are the one I pulled up here is Robbing Hood. Um, and nice. so there he goes being chased by uh, the people with the pitchforks and torches because they he ran off with all their monies, wouldn't let them trade their game stonks. It's true. Well, I mean, that there's like their platform buckled. And meanwhile, you know, when you're plugged directly into the system, Citadel had no problem trading. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's a there's a not just a front-running scenario, but if Robinhood was taking fees for those trades, which they were, and then saying that they were cleared, which they were, and not refunding those fees, which they didn't, I think is wrong. So was it criminal? No. Is it a bad service? Yeah. They did a bad yeah. job. Shouldn't shorting, time. though, be illegal? Because it's such a crock of shit. 
trading something you don't even own. And in some cases, like what was going on with GameStop, was trading more than a hundred percent. You were they were shorting more than a hundred percent of it. Didn't even they were selling something they didn't even own at more than a hundred percent of what did exist. That just seems to me to be just completely bogus. I don't know why short sellers are allowed to exist. I don't know why I can stand up and openly say this is why this company sucks. And by the way, I have a financial reason to do that. So just what we talked about of like you guys doing the right thing and not pumping something, right? It's legal for you to get up and say, this is shit. It's okay for you to say that. And not just that, I own a whole bunch of it. And I think it's crap. Meaning I own a large short position Mm. in X, Y, and Z. And because I do, doesn't necessarily mean you should sell your stock. But of course, it influences it. When a bunch of short sellers get up, and that's why you watched during the entire rise of the whole Tesla model, which is a model, not a strategy. It's This is a model of a type of business. As that model expanded, short sellers really sh- you know, showed their hand. And Elon multiple times referenced this as a situation that Look, it just it isn't efficient because there are more incentives for you to watch something burn at you know at the hands of, at the feet of the public than there is otherwise. You can't short sell, for example, a, a PE investment. So a VC will raise up a company all the way until it's dumped on the markets, e.g., WeWork, and then large financial institutions will short the public's position. So like you're, you feel angry about the GameStop short 100% mm-hmm. you should be, sorry, 100,000% you should be. <laughs> but in the GameStop sense, that stock went down and a lot of people made money on that drop and they weren't the little guy. The little guy bore that pain all the way down. You just said something that just, that I've never heard it really said in this way is that the VCs will take their venture capital projects all the way to a certain point. Then they'll go IPO where then the public can now finally invest in it. And then these same people are out there, you know, trying to short that to dump it, to take money from all the price. And then they, and then they, the SEC doesn't even let us invest in, in early stage startups, unless you're a, an accredited investor at a million dollars. Like for example, we've said this, I don't know how many times I've said this as an example, we had an opportunity uh, to to buy the, the the blockchain project for NFTs flow at ten cents, but we couldn't because we're Americans and they wouldn't let us buy it at ten cents. Then it went live and then it got all the way up to like thirty bucks or whatever the number was, and and we we could buy it then when it hit retail in some of these places, but we were not able to. They wanted to protect us from our money. I say bullshit. They don't want to protect us from our money. They are part of the system to take away our money as much as they don't want the middle class and lower class to become wealthy and, 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 and be one of the big dogs. They want to they want to try to find all the ways to take our money away. It seems I I would I used to think that couldn't be because like, what are the incentives? Right. I used to think that theory couldn't be true. But as I started to learn the system, which is. Citadel is a high-profile hedge fund. They follow all the rules to a T. They have a compliance department with hundreds of people in it. But you zoom all the way out to, okay, now I've been all the way to the other side, which is like in Zug, Switzerland, 
arguing with incorporation lawyers as to like what is okay for Swiss banking and what is not. You know, basically the Wild West out on that side of, of regulated and unregulated markets. Mm-hmm. In both scenarios, there's a few guys who run the system. And because they run the system, they just don't want it to change. So the model of company starts up, company's name is Theranos. Company adds a bunch of board members that have nothing to do with health to that board, raises a bunch of money from some high profile people, whispers of a public offering start to happen before you know, the, the, arguably the rug is pulled out from underneath high profile VCs. But Theranos is an example of, would the people have found it sooner? And I'd argue, yes. Had we had a transparent system where you could have participated in flow at 10 cents, you'd be far more interested in picking that apart and looking at that like Reddit picks apart the whole Robinhood situation where it's like they went end to end on an educational hunt to figure out what really happened. And by preventing the wisdom of crowds from touching these companies, we end up with WeWork situations where the, you know, the biggest invest, investor outside of uh, SoftBank never even sent in his money, like participated in all the rounds, quote, quote, but never sent it in until it was about to go public. Like the whole thing was just planned to dump on the public markets as an asset. And each time these valuations push this stuff higher and higher so that we as a people don't question it. Like, oh, uh, that's a several hundred billion dollar company with no revenues. It's fine. Like, it's not fine. (laughs) It's terrible. Right. But it's been pumped that way because of the VC markets. Hmm. One of the things that we've been talking about, we've had some conversations with uh, certain folks is around STOs and security token offerings, right? And in, instead of the, the current model where the stock is based on the never ending consumption of people and, and, you know, and then the value is going up, it's actually it becomes a percentage of the revenue that gets paid out in these tokens, right? It's like imagine if there was a token attached to Apple or a token attached to Google that paid out 20% of its revenue to the token holders, right? And it, it seems to me to be a better model than the stock market model where, you know, it's all about never ending growth and consumption and you're, keep growing and growing until what? Until everything's gone in the world, everything worth anything is over because we've consumed everything. Like the model has to change. Do you think that STOs is, is, is that? Is that something you can speak on? I think the largest threat to good businesses is visa and after that i'd say it's it's uh securities securities as an as a national macroeconomic policy have become part of the country's regulatory and policy-based framework for international relations essentially the u.s market needs to perform better than the chinese stock market and that is very, very bad for innovation because an iPhone is an iPhone wherever you are in the world. But because there are political interests that certain components of that game work, you end up with what you're talking about, which is the STO model, where the business itself pays in itself. You know, It's like you're going to get 20% of the, of the token back or you'll earn it by staying in this company. And if you leave it, you're not. It's a little bit better than dividends and that dividends are denominated in the national currency, 
which is then inflated up the moon. So your dividends aren't as nice as you thought they were. You know, you're you're not getting when you're paying dividends as a stockholder, you're not getting more stock. You're getting more USD. And so it still ties, what it did is it glued the public stock market to companies and then companies to the government. So it, it's just, what it's doing is it's making a very top heavy government and a very inefficient model for fostering innovation. That's why you see the stuff that's happening today where Defy has the brightest kids with the biggest minds and the coolest technology. And it's the thing that gets the most regulatory pressure by well, far. So let's talk about DeFi here. Um, by the way, 1 million percent, good sir. 1 oh million goodness. We're percent. up to 1 million? Yeah. So I don't know where, where this is getting, this craziness is going to end, but it's, fully supportive. It's like a stonk NFT. Indeed, to the moon <laughs> and Mars and beyond. We just passed Elon. See ya, Elon. We're going to Jupiter. Good. When you explain DeFi to somebody, what's your elevator speech to be able to explain it to somebody? You're just going from the first to the fifth floor. You got their attention just a moment. They go, what's DeFi? Uh, DeFi is a passive income generator. At its core, that's what it should be. I don't That's know a great answer, by the way. The one billion percent, good sir. Oh my uh, gosh. Because I feel like elevator speech questions, when answered properly, should cause some people to not get off at the floor they were going to because they have a follow-up question, right? You should never fully get the answer. So if like I if I asked you that and you said it's passive income, I'm like, okay, I'm not getting out for the fifth floor. I'm riding with this guy wherever he's going. Tell me more. Well, let me tell you, this This guy, salt and pepper hair, glasses, said DeFi was important. So I'm just going to amp up the credibility here. It, the trust factor is big. So DeFi as a passive income generator is a way for you to tap what the original premise was for the stock market. So the stock market started as an opportunity for you to protect your investment. It's such a strange thought. I want to protect my asset. So I take stock in a ship, a merchant sh ship together. And if it sinks, we all take a smaller hit. So there's your, your first stock in something was, well, if, the weather, if something that I didn't know happens, I don't completely die. So zoom all the way back to what DeFi you know, originally allowed you to do is you would take your Ethereum and you don't really know if Ethereum is going to do well, but you want more of it. And you don't know if it's going to crash or go up or down, but you're just willing to let it sit there. And during that time, it will grow itself a little bit. You'll earn more in the network of Ethereum because of these you know, staked value coins. Since then, it's turned into a speculative asset. And that, that means two things as, as an investor. One, careful. It's like not time to buy, it's time to learn. Every time you hear the word like speculate, speculative, do your own research, stop buying, like stop buying. It's like close your wallet. If you're buying something, you're doing something wrong. Don't look at charts. Don't look at prices going you know, to the moon. Ignore all other podcasts other than bad crypto because they're the only guys who don't pump stuff. One and, jillion percent. Oh my God, it's, it's oh just God. too high. I need to 1 open up short positions one. on my own jump. percentages. I like to open up a short position. The 1 billion is too high. Too high. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so step one is speculate, stop buying. Step two, after you have learned, you are probably right. 
And that's how you get rid of that bad gut sinking feeling is like study up on which one to actually get, spend a month minimum, make your position change and stay there for two years. I guarantee you, you will at least be right more than 50% of the time. If you can hold it for 30 days, don't buy anything, research and see what you're getting. And really all you're doing in the crypto world is exchanging coins for coins. So digital dust for digital dust. Is it a good idea? Maybe, but remember that it's digital dust. You cannot buy a sandwich with it you know, anytime in the near future. So this stuff won't help you live. But speculate first and then wait. And in the speculation period, it's, it's all learning. So don't buy. And then wait. Just wait. You always have more time than you think. Always. And when we go to like the hedge funds, People think it's this, you know, super nerdy kid something. Right. It, it is a very geeky something. But he's not making decisions that are based on hours or high-frequency stuff. 90% of the revenue generated by hedge funds is in long-term strategies, meaning month-to-month month and quarter-to-quarter. So the smartest guys in the room, the kids recruited out of the best math programs, the Olympiads, and all that stuff, they are doing stuff that goes on cycles in quarters and months. Fast trading is considered days. So the stuff where it's like, oh, I got to buy now because it's going to moon tomorrow. Wrong. You're in hot water. Like that's not the way to play this. Mm. I think the, I think the uh, SEC was coming after you. I heard the I heard the sirens. So uh, some well, knocking York, knocking on the door. Well, they just, you know, they Patrick McConnell, uh, we're here talking, talking about Citadel and one second. You, I'm almost done with my first. You are unsanctioned to be talking about. So, so you've left, you left Citadel and you went to the DeFi ecosystem to build Overline.network. And you're talking about how, you know, DeFi is not just a new kind of technology, it's a movement to make trading more transparent. How are you helping or how is this process making trading more transparent? Because I would say this, even in crypto, there is arbitrage going on. There is stuff going on cross cross exchanges. Like, oh, it. I can buy, buy Bitcoin here at, at 45,000, 45, And over here, I can sell it for 46.1 right here. And it's micro transactions. And like these, these bots and stuff are going on. It's like, you, you, it's just crazy watching technology. And, and a lot of times it doesn't seem like it's transparent. And it would be nice if, if it were more so. So how, how is this oh, helping? Matt, you nailed it. Okay, so I'm going to tell one more secret in the hedge fund world that I found while I was there. There's a whole bunch of hedge funds who speak wirelessly. They only talk to each other wirelessly, point-to-point transactions. So you know how, I don't know if you know the story of the uh, mountain getting blown up by the hedge fund just so they could run a wire between the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and New York Stock Exchange. You know the story? Okay, so they literally, you can Google it, they blew up a mountain like hundreds of millions of dollars just to run one wire through straight to the mercantile exchange in Chicago from New York. And then you have a whole bunch of situations in New Jersey where they just started these super centers where they're called co-located trading operations, but they co-locate around the exchange. What it basically means in the long shot is I'm there first. So if I'm Citadel, I'm here first. I get to buy it first. I get to sell it first. But my data is there first. And then I found a new kind of hedge fund that was doing it wirelessly over radio waves. 
and they were way faster than the wired guys. Because if you think about it, you could post an order into the internet, right? But that has to follow all the little hamster wheels of the internet pipes. So it's got to race around, you know, the globe or whatever it is, but it's got to go through the neighborhoods. I mean, people don't think about that. Like it's got to go through pipes, but over the air, direct link, it goes straight in. So you have these hedge funds set up towers in between Chicago and New York Stock Exchange. And it dawned on me, you could solve this whole DeFi problem of like transparency and this whole, I guess you could use the DeFi solution, which is that I get to see my trades actually complete. But what if your entire buy market was everyone uh, seven to 40 kilometers in every direction? So what if you were saying, I want to sell my Bitcoin for my ETH and your buyers were the other 9 million people in Manhattan and you could all be connected wirelessly? That is faster. So remember I was talking about like handing you something that might be too powerful to use at once. If you can trade wirelessly, you can clear your book before it even touches the internet. And so we left Citadel, we, a number of people did, to leave to start building. Some of us publicly, some of us anonymously. I went on the public route just because I think it's more up and up, but others are here in the space, working from the hedge fund space, knowing what the wireless trade model brings. But imagine you pull out your phone and you hit, I want to you know, sell my Bitcoin for ETH, then anyone who is 1.4 miles around you in New York or 40 miles around you in like Wyoming can buy that directly from you wirelessly, totally anonymously, and it clears in under a second. I love the crap out of that. It's so nice. It's like, yeah, screw off bigger funds and all that. Like I can make this trade myself. Here's the question then, you know, obviously uh, the governments can't see that they don't like anonymous. They want to be able to track everything because, you know, they're not going after the real criminals on Wall Street. They want to go after regular people that are just, you know, trying to invest to make a living. Are they going to come down on DeFi and anonymous trading and, you know, say, hey, you can't do this? They absolutely will come down on anonymous trading where the trader doesn't declare their taxes. Like that's going to be a thing. The weird thing is Overline is designed to be a a wireless chain. And because of that, it's just like Bitcoin. So at the end of the day, if you don't declare your Bitcoin, but there's a path to every Bitcoin on the chain, eventually they're going to come knocking. And companies like Chain Analysis, right, sell and work directly with the IRS. So it's like, they look at, did I did the person pull that Bitcoin out of the Coinbase account? And if they did, did they declare taxes for it? It's a it's you know, given to Caesar what is Caesar's sort of scenario. You can't hide your money in Bitcoin ultimately when you bought it on Coinbase. Same thing goes for Overline. So it it is a giant ledger that, yeah, the addresses don't show someone's name, but the path starting from a Coinbase account or wherever you ended up getting it. Uh, is fully transparent. So ultimately, Caesar will come for what is Caesar's, and then you won't have this problem of anonymous trading. Just declare your gains. You know, be be honest about what you made. Or maybe move to Puerto Rico 
where you don't necessarily have to deal with some of that stuff there. Cause that's why that, yeah. that might be uh, honestly, I sometimes I wonder well, myself. Joel and I, we both moved to Puerto Rico. So that's where we are. Oh, <laughs> okay. So there you go. Listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what? Cause like Caesar can eat a bag of dicks. Like, I mean, that's all I gotta say. Uh, because you know what? They'll, they'll, they'll take this, they'll take the money and, we saw what happened in Afghanistan. Like here's, there's literally billions of dollars of our tax money that didn't oh, help anybody no. in America. Like we've been going over there and in, in nation building and blowing up nations and then t- rebuilding. And I really think that's been the whole call, you know, the whole thing with central banking since this late 1700s, whenever central banking was created, they realized, oh, wait, I got this gold, but I can just give you this paper to say that you're whole, I'm holding this gold for you. And then I'm going to use this gold and I'm going to write out other papers. That I'm going to have, you know, it's like fractional reserve banking has been such a disaster for, for the wealth mm. of humanity, right? It's made the bankers very rich. It's made the globals elites very rich because they're the ones that's benefiting from this system. The, the crypto system and DeFi seems to benefit most everyone that participates. And that's why I think that the elites aren't necessarily, they don't like it because they, they like having plebs. I think they like to, they, they look at themselves as little, as, uh, as the masters and uh, we're sort of the ones that is uh, giving us, giving them our money, making them but the richer. It's crazy. It's like, there's, there's, that's totally great. But, if you think about it, like there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's nothing, everything's just the same thing, new names. So like, were there Dukes in the past who were not interested in changing off the feudal system? Yeah. Like, are there Kings today? Absolutely. Is Ken Griffin, CEO of Citadel King? You bet. And he is a force to reckon with. Like this dude, he's, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And he's gonna, he's got a, at least 1500 quants working for him all day long. To make sure that him and his investors get more wealth, it's right. it's an army. Think, so think now, about this. Like, okay, this is this is why you know the the U.S. experiment of having representation, you know, was the best idea, even though it's being taken over by kings now. But think about the type of person that you would need to be to want to rule over other people. Most people just want to go about their business and live their lives. And so the sociopaths and the psychopaths become the leaders because they're the ones who pursue it. Yeah, they're the ones that be going to politics. And Joel, we just had this conversation the other day. It's like it should go back to where it was like, well, almost like it's a jury system and you get selected to be a senator or a representative or something. That way you don't have these power monger people who are attached to you know, these, these uber rich investors that are funding their campaigns, right? It's like this, this, this whole, this whole economic and political system in America and in the world needs an enema in the biggest way. It's got to just get rid of all the douchebags and let's, we got to start over in some way. And maybe crypto can be the, uh, the way that, that leads us into well, some more clarity and transparency. What you guys are touching on is, is, another path here that I think the industry and you guys have a chance to craft minds, right? Like you guys have a following where you could slightly change the direction this thing steers. So that's cool. What's notable with politics today is, uh, you know, a land grab of power that the world has never seen where, where congressmen, senators, committees are coming together and realizing that 
no one really has a way to stop them from writing whatever they want into law. And so you have very uninformed congressmen writing financial amendments and addendums and getting pushed by lobbyists making millions of dollars in a financial system that they don't understand. And so you end up with, you know, decentralized is maybe it's de-sociopath. Like maybe that's, ah, that's yeah. the, way, you know, the de-sociopathization of the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what needs like, to happen. Yeah. I'm all about that. Well, if I, let's say that I become evil, Patrick, you know, evil Patrick is what happens, you know, you have the power chin. Corrupts. You kind of have the evil, like, you oh, that sucks. It sucks. Well, yeah. I don't but, know. Or you could have that hero chin. You kind of got, well, like I just the, needed like a little goatee, you know, and is this the, uh, the darkest evil. timeline right now? Is that what we're doing? I don't know, but hypothetical. If that happens, I still can't mess with the decentralized network. The rules play against me. So in a weird way, the decentralized component of mining, in my opinion, like staking is a load of crap. Staking is the banking system all over again. Very few wealthy people have a bunch of all the money and the little guy's going to get nothing. But anyway, mining does let the, the individual have a shot and in that mining operation, they also have a vote. And so whether or not I go full, you know, evil Patrick is irrelevant. I'm actually restricted from becoming a bad player because the network itself isn't changeable. And it's like people say, oh, you can't change. It's like, no, I mean, we've had multiple times miners on our network not migrate fast enough or, you know, complain about some migration to the point where they aren't going to adopt the go another way. Like our whole, even our... Our miners aren't even written by us. The communities built out the pools and the GPU miners and stuff. So there's this element of decentralized is a safeguard in the separation of powers that we saw in a moral government when the U.S. first presented itself. Like it's a separation of powers from the creator of the technology, which would have been, you know, Apple and the consumer of the technology, which there is no mineable Apple. You know, there is no, I have my Mac and it earns for itself because it participates in the Mac network. How cool would that be if there was? And so we're seeing today the economic models that support that in DeFi. And I'm not like pushing any coins or whatever, but like DAI is cool. These guys are cool. They are out to actually make the libertarian universe, you know, we were promised. But if you, you know, own some of this maker, the way that the economic model plays out, you're participating and earning. What what else is uh, what's on the horizon? I guess for Overline, what's next? And and uh, where do you think? You know, I know we, you know you've you you've done a lot of stuff with with uh, doing analysis on stuff. We just had a big dump in the market today. Is that just a correction? Are we moving on? Are we, is, is it going to be going down? Are we going to be going up? I know crypto goes up, crypto goes down, but where do you see where do you see the rest of the year sort of playing out? Bitcoin's fine. If you want to store things, if you have extra money that you don't plan on spending the next five years, put it in Bitcoin. If it's in money, it's foolish. I don't know why you put it in cash. There's just so much inflation coming. If it's in real estate, it's foolish. It's overbought. If it's in the stock market, it's overbought. So, you know, I'm not making price predictions. I have no idea where it'll go. I just don't like the flavor of, of people making a quick buck. There'll be people who make a quick buck, but this is the roaring 20s all over again. So parties and then complete collapse. Or 
there's a whole new game coming out in the 5G wireless spectrum. There is a whole new universe. 2022 and wireless trade is a thing. 2022 and the next gen versions of, uh, of wireless everything, it's a thing. Because I don't, if I can directly communicate with my community, the people who are within, you know, one to five miles from me, the internet's going to change. Who should like, we be paying attention to in this space then? Who's like on the horizon here for enabling this wireless trading? Well, enabling wireless trading is us, but that's like, oh, you're pumping your own coin. And it isn't because I think I've tried to get people to do this. I don't know why they don't do this. What people should do is come and fork our stuff, change the parameters, launch their own versions. Our hardware, our wireless stuff is all flexible to support forks out the gate. And the idea there is, you know, a, a million things blooming at once is a, is a beautiful scenario. And a single dead rose is, you know, the end of a movie. Like this is supposed to be a fully decentralized world and internet shutdowns are becoming commonplace. So we don't experience them here in the United States, but even that isn't entirely true. Like the first internet shutdown in the US was in San Francisco. Most people don't even know about it. Like BART shut down all of the cellular services in August, 2011, so that people would stop protesting on BART. The first time that people could not get cellular connections out blocked by that entity. That's not going to be the last. You saw with the Capitol riots, phones shut off and blocked and jammed. This is the thing that you hold in your pocket is much more like a leash than a gateway. And so we need to start looking at wireless solutions left and right. And that doesn't just mean like, oh, follow overline. We're going to make Ethereum wireless too. Like it's going to be a wireless version of Ethereum where imagine you're going to be able to execute a smart contract without ever touching the internet, which is nuts. It's a very mm. cool. And, and the no, file that's very helpful because what happens? Epic. Yeah, because what happens if like, you know, uh, electricity goes, you know, what, what, like, there's like a, one of those dirty bombs and because the people have talked about that, those different types of um, those things that like, like screw up all the technology. If you don't have the Internet, then you don't really have crypto. And it's like then we're going back to trading and stuff. But I, I do love the idea of, of having completely wireless trading. We don't necessarily need to use the internet it's like what like via bluetooth or some mesh network or what it is via the same thing we found the high frequency phones you're using so oh. we ride under 9 14 megahertz 429 11 megahertz super long range low power transmissions it is it's really it's really it's really cool uh it's something that in the regular universe overline operates on the internet and in the wireless world, so then we can cross oceans, right? We need to be able to get the trades to, you need to be able to trade with someone in Australia. But, but we are done when the world is covered. And it's possible with, with 17,000 overline nodes, we have full coverage of all land in the United States. So wow. we're running models where why don't we just deploy it ourselves? Why don't we just put them in envelopes and just mail them to, to people for free? Like, here's 17,000 lucky people. Please plug it in and leave it on. And the United States will have full wireless trade for free. All so 
what I'm it's looking a, at the website here. I'm looking at uh, overline.network and I see you have your own token EMB. So what does this do? Emblem. So EM, EMB is because I love mining, but I hate mining hardware. Like it's just so annoying and it's hot and it's loud and it drains your electricity. So EMB is a synthetic GPU. And what we did is we wrote EMB in to the protocol so that a miner mining with, with EMB makes more. They just earn more than other miners, even if they're not as powerful. But what that actually means to someone with EMB is it represents mining power in the overline network. So right now, the world doesn't know the wireless side. We aren't pushing the wireless side. We're just a very simple decentralized exchange. But that's necessary for the same reasons that we believe Visa is our biggest competitor. Like Visa and their interchange, most people don't know about. Visa launched as an interchange first. Then they deployed all their merchant terminals everywhere. And so Overline launched an interchange first so that you can get your value in and out of whatever you wanted it in. If you like Aave, you can get it from Aave into Bitcoin. If you like Bitcoin, you can get it from Bitcoin into you know, Binance chain. So these, these changes are done through Overline's interchange side, which is built into the, to the protocol itself. But it, it's really meant to disappear into the mist. It's meant like the interchange on Visa, you don't need to see it. You're just going to interact with the merchant terminal, this wireless wallet. And imagine a world where every wallet is a cold wallet. Like it doesn't need to touch the internet. You don't need to get on your computer to, to change your position from Ethereum to something else. You could just make the trade inside of your wallet and it trades with all the other wallets anywhere around you or anywhere on, in, you know, on the earth. Because the overline thing is an overline between you and the internet or you and someone else. That's the premise. So it's like a phone line, only it doesn't just do wires. It's meant to work wirelessly. Mm. And so this is the EMB token. You have you have two different tokens on the Overline network, it looks like, from reading the, the, the information on your, on your website. What exactly is the EMB token? You just mentioned that it's part of, you, you mine it through this virtual hardware or something you just mentioned it's, it's, so it, seems, like, it seems interesting it seems and it seems a little confusing it is confusing emb is for long-term owners who know what overline is overline which is ol is for everything you want to do in the network so when you want to send a trade in the future you'll need a little ol to pay the miners to route it you'll also earn ol as you're running these wireless nodes so that's the cool thing with like a network that feeds itself. You plug in your phone, you run the Overline app, it will earn you money overnight just sitting there. Like how many of us waste a supercomputer? Like if you think about the number, uh, we did this calculation, the number of Galaxy S7s, so the old Galaxy phones, if you combined them, you would have more processing power than all of the cloud centers on the planet times four. And those Galaxy S7s are sitting there doing nothing. People's, like how many people have an extra phone in their drawer that they don't use? It's a, it's a, it is the biggest dormant processing power mankind has ever had at one time, which arguably was the situation Satoshi Nakamoto found himself or herself or themselves in 
like, hey, a lot of computer processing power is not used. What could we do with it? It's what Filecoin is interestingly doing. A lot of hard drive space is not used. What can we do with it? Right now, there are billions of antennas, billions, dormant, sitting there, unused in people's drawers, in tables, Wi-Fi routers that just sit there when they could be routing trades. And if they're routing trades, why not route more messaging? You know, there's no, there's no reason that Venezuela gets their internet shut off. It's so annoying. Like, right. If we kind of, if we just work together for a nanosecond and ran the same protocol, Venezuela doesn't have that problem anymore. Pioneering the future here. Uh, you guys go check out overline.network. Do your own research on it. Uh, Patrick, you are a wealth of information. And we Thank hope you. that uh, your your first uh, stint on a podcast hasn't been too painful. No, this was a blast. I, I hope that everyone listening to this gives these guys one billion percentages of, of ratings. Yes. So <laughs> yeah, the highest. But it really was a pleasure. Thanks for talking. There you have it. Another episode in the can where it belongs. Well, it's not quite finished. We still got this little bit of banter to do at the end. You know what I haven't checked? I have not checked to see if we've got any uh, new reviews that have come in recently. We These have gotten bags and their douchebaggy accents. <laughs> I hate them. We did get um, a bunch of voicemails at some point here in the very near future. I think we need to just dedicate a show to playing uh, a lot of the voicemails that we've gotten. Yeah. And go ahead and call in that if you want to call in, since we are going to compile them and put them all together into one big pretty gift with a bow. 708-885-9030. It's basically Google Voice. You just call in, it leaves you a voicemail, and then that voicemail turns into an audio file that we will then put into the show. So make it funny or full of facts or try to hurt our feelings. Do do whatever. Call the Brent Crypto Hotline, mates. That was more Australian than the way. I don't know where that actually can't hurt from. my feelings. I got no feelings left. I just had one feeling and now it's gone. <laughs> Well, maybe you can track it down before the next episode. We appreciate everybody listening. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you also subscribe to our other podcast, The Nifty Show. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Until then, stay bad. What do you should be saying? Stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. Why we got to be bad for? We got enough bad shit in this world. Should we be trying to be good? Trying to do good shit. Then we'd have to be the good crypto podcast. And we ah, then we got to rebrand everything and that's ours. Well, and also we'd have to actually be good and we're not. We're not good yet. We're not Eventually, good. maybe after a thousand episodes, we'll be good.